Welcome to Fintech Insider Interviews. My name is David Breer, and today I have the absolute pleasure of talking to Michael Roos, who is the CCO at Klarna. Um, welcome to the show. Thanks very Thank much for joining David. me. Much appreciated. Love um, to be here. There's a bunch of different things that we're going to sort of whistle yeah. through in terms of um, talking here, but maybe for you know anybody who's been, I guess, living under a rock, given <laughs> the amount of good things that Klarna have been coming out with recently, then tell us a little bit more about Klarna. What's the elevator pitch? Oh, the elevator pitch. Uh, yeah, Klarna's now 14 year old this year so i like to put it we're sort of that teenage and we're trying to figure out who we want to be when we grow up which mm. is exciting mm. so we can continue to make lots of mistakes before uh, people continue to punish us more seriously um yeah Klarna really operates in you know predominantly the the world of e-commerce point-of-sale financing uh you know the company is born out of its heritage of the buy now pay later category yeah which really was founded sort of by the three co-founders in sweden um back those 14 years ago. Now we're operating in 18 geographies wow. um, in totality, uh, nearly probably 3,000 employees soon. Mm. And, you know, from our point of view, uh, working with nearly nearly 140,000 merchants today um, and about 60 million consumers haven't used the product uh, in across those geographies and through those merchants. And, you know, the journey continues to evolve. It's, you know, a rapid space that we're working within. You know, and, and obviously our challenge or our mission is really to change the way people feel about payments, right? That's the elevator pitch, you know, and, and obviously a big part of that is smooth payments and, and how we think about how we position ourselves within the space and the category. Yeah. And I, and I guess with that with that mission, that's a that's not just like we're here to do more payments. That's about changing people's engagement with these things, yeah, isn't yeah, it? And, yeah. I, and I guess the whole, uh, you know, that whole narrative leads you to probably act in a quite a different way. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's at the core of how we try and operate, right? It's, you know, everything we try to do is completely the opposite of, of how it's done. And, and in fact, the company and the way we set up from a, from a team structure right up to the top in terms of how we have our own executive management meetings is around the way we don't want to do it, mm. right? Because, you know, I think sometimes it's easy to fall into the trap Mm. of like, well, others do it, just copy. Yeah. And I think our challenge at Klarna is constantly trying to rewrite the playbook. And, you know, a market like the UK here where we're sitting today or the US, uh, I joined the company in sort of 2015. And, you know, I think one of the challenges certainly I felt joining the company was it's a Nordics phenomenon and, and it'll never work outside of that, <laughs> right? And I look at it today, Germany is our biggest market, wow. right? And, you know, incredibly successful, 24 million consumers there. Mm. You know, and scale-wise, we're as, as comparable to PayPal in that market. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think the things we're most proud about is markets like here in the U.S. right now, where people told us you'll never be successful, right? And and those are the things that motivate us and mm. fire us up and, and get us to go to work every day and get our teams charged up about trying to deliver. And I think the core fundamental for me in, in being a Klarna is that, you know, we don't look at the business in a traditional way. And what does that mean? You know, I'm not spending my Mondays reading management reports and numbers. Obviously, I have to. There's a responsibility to our investors. But, you know, that's not the core of what we do, mm. right? The core of what we do is, like, what were the five single biggest customer service problems we had last week, mm. right? How are we going to solve those this week? It's not, you know, and if I think some of the industries I've worked in, 
you know, those are things that go on the strategic roadmap for three years. Yeah. Right. And that's that's interesting because, you you know, you're not a startup anymore. You know, you're a big organization. You know, the revenue is big. The geographies are big. But you've seemingly sort of kept that sort of entrepreneurial spark within the organization for, yeah. you know, really delivery and getting stuff done, right? It is. I mean, that's really been, I think, the to some extent, the greatest strength, but also been our biggest challenge, mm. right? Um you know, I think we benefit from being based in Sweden and no one sort of spends a lot of time going to that market to research it, so which I, you know, I always find interesting. Mm. But more importantly, it's at the core, you know, from Sebastian down in the organization, obviously Sebastian, the CEO, is, is that passion to basically make sure we don't become sort of one of those corporate um, beasts, if you want to put it, like to be an organization of three, maybe 3,000 people, but more importantly, we're an organization of nearly 300 teams, yeah. right? And and actually, I like to summarize Klarna more as it's a series or a collection of startups. Mm. And each one of those startups own one of those problem spaces that we feel we still haven't solved. Yeah. Some of those are being re- being solved every day. Some of those are long-term problems that we've basically said, rather than put it on a backlog and basically never get to it, we've actually dedicated the team to it. Now, a team... In this sense, it might only be two or three people because that's what we choose from an investment point of view. Yeah. But what it gives us confidence in is that someone's still owning that space. And then we, as a management team, really treat that in an investor mindset mm. to say, like, do we want to continue to invest? Is we're ready? Should we ramp up? And those are things that are developing all the time, right? And mm. um, a good example right now is this year we lost a product called, we launched a product called Klarna Boost. Yeah. Um, which is in simple forms, just merchant lending, mm. um, which we do, which, you know, for the high base of micro slash SME merchants that we do have, we have an incredible amount of data and they're massively underserved by the banks. Mm. In fact, the banks don't serve them, mm. right? And, you know, as much as we can create facilities for, for consumers to be able to transact with us, we have the same data, if not richer data on the merchant. And, yeah. you know, what we've really done with that boost product is not only are we seeing the consumers that shop there, so we, we see the full circle, mm. but we also see the type of products they're buying and actually what they can drive and how we can support the inventory through better cash management and better services like that. There's there's some, uh, you know, beautiful simplicity in a lot yeah. of these things. You know, you're, you're solving nice, simple problems at great scale, and that's obviously a, a great way of starting yeah, yeah. a, you know, a, a very profitable business, really. I love that. I, I can really relate to the whole, you know, break it down to as small a problem as you can, and actually, you know, if you've got those 300 teams in that the 3,000 organization, yeah. then, you know, anything broken down to the smallest point is, uh, is great, but that's a very different way of doing it for a big organization you know not uh, not many banks not many other organizations have uh, actually been able to not turn into a corporate i guess yeah. which is good and, and i guess probably you know talking about doing things differently i'm, I'm gonna have to talk about this because i i find it fascinating but you know the, the announcement about the partnership with snoop dog coming into klana yes um you know that that's for me is a, a real sign of doing things differently T- tell us a little bit more about that because like y- you know Everybody in your family, I must be asking you about that one as, as much as anything else. Yeah, I mean, like, yes. <laughs> it's amazing how many new friends I have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or certainly friends that haven't heard from me in a long time sure. or haven't contacted me. You know, I think that's a good example of the core of how we think, right? The last thing some bank in Europe is expected to do, or any bank in the world, is do a celebrity uh, partnership with a brand and a phenomenon like Snoop Dogg. 
look, I will say when when our marketing team brought this to the table, you know, it was one of those where I had a little bit of my old Amex head on mm. and thought, wow, we would never do this. Sure. But that's also what gets me hugely excited because we would never have done it, as I say, we then, the past. But that's what makes me excited, right? And I think what's been great about that, one is how much uh, Snoop himself has wanted to engage, right? You know, so that he has wanted to be part. He's been given comments, advice, and, and dialogue with it, which has been awesome. And then on top of that, when you look at the way the execution has played out at this start, because obviously it's an ongoing program, um, you know, it's it's just been hilarious. I, last week, there's been a number of GIFs posted, uh, which has obviously been um, across Europe, mainly. I haven't seen too many in, in sort of UK and the US, where actually a number of politicians have been placed replacing which has been quite entertaining so it's mm. taken a different turn yeah but in a good way it just means like it's it's viral it's the social world we live in and you know you know to us it sort of repos continues the repositioning of Klarna as like you know we don't want to be the traditional blue and white payments company slash bank right yeah. there's too many of them okay um so the more we can do and I'll, you know we'll do more with snoop but we'll do more activity continued like that whether it's both on the product side or on the celebrity endorsement yeah. side, it, it's um, it's really interesting as well because it's it's a partnership, as you say. It's not um, this is not an uh, purely from an, an advertisement perspective because you know celebrities have got in touch in in um, involved in you know TV adverts and that type of stuff, but actually taking a minority stake and actually it being a true partnership yeah. is going to be really fascinating. So uh, yeah, I'd love to be on a fly on the wall when he comes and uh, hangs out in the office next. That would be uh, very entertaining. It has been uh, entertaining. To say. <laughs> a lot of fun, actually. It's been the amount of energy, something that God brings, uh, you know, as much as we're, we pride ourselves in the products that we bring to market. This has brought a new dimension to sort of bring an energy into a company like ours. And even with the age profile we have in the company, uh, you know, to an extent, even some people are like, wow, this is great, right? Which just helps your employer branding, your employee confidence, and gives everyone sort of the direction you want. So that's what's also been nice about it. Great. And, and I guess, um, you know, moving sort of back a little bit into to sort of payments, you know, this space, really, the payments landscape was probably the first wave of, you know, disruption from a fintech perspective, yeah, yeah. you know, everything that's kind of come through is, uh, you know, particularly in various, you know, Venmo over in the US, there's been a bit of a sort of chipping away of there. Um, you know, through your career with Klarna and, and actually before that you were with American Express as well, you must have seen a real, uh, not only the technologies that are deployed, but just the pace of change that's going yeah. through this. The word I definitely think about is pace. Mm. It's speed, right? And, and to say that, you know, we launched a product uh, last quarter and the concept of the product was born on a Tuesday and the product was launched four weeks later on a Friday. Wow. Right, and full-scale launch in two markets. That's pretty impressive. Right, so that's the speed of what you can do when you turn 2,000 engineers onto a problem. Yeah. Or, or a problem space, and a, a problem space we felt we were solving a lot of, uh, a lot of opportunity with. And the reason why I say that is, you know, I reflect a lot, having sat at sort of Amex for nearly a decade and now at Klarna nearly four years, is like, I, I look at Klarna in sort of, it's a bit like dog lives or cat lives, if that's a good term. You know, four years at Klarna has been like 20 years at Amex, even though I've never done 20 years at sure. Amex. 
And I don't say that in any negative context. That is how, you know, I think every year I look back, we just finished 2018 and I try to write down exactly all the things we accomplished. And sometimes those things are not good, but the point is, you know, what I feel is that we're, we're not trying to make five perfect decisions. The challenge is, is we're trying to use the analogy of making 10 decisions, but if we get five right, if we get six right or seven right, and we get three wrong, it's still better than the company that was making five. That's true. So that, that's one element at the core. But the other element is just the technical infrastructure and platforms and the, and the capabilities that exist. Because, you know, I've seen, I can tell you back at 2007 at, at Amex, you know, some of the things that I see in the market today, Amex had solutions for. Mm. Or concepts for, is a better way to put it, not a solution. And, you know, I think of a number of products. You know, I look at a product like Bluebird, which was launched with Walmart, which basically is Venmo in some form today, right? But the challenge for some of these companies, like Amex and others, it's not the lack of ideas. Those, there's been people around in this space and many spaces. But one, the profit pools are too damn big to basically break into the space and the yep. company... Some, somebody somewhere from a shareholder point of view or stockholding point of view is not willing to upset the apple cart for the mm -hmm. next 12 months. Yep. Two, the technical capability is, is band-aid at best in terms of the way the infrastructure has been built over the years. And thirdly, you know, therefore, there's not the conviction in the belief in the consumer proposition because you have those barriers that are already created, yep. um, unfortunately. Because I do think companies like Amex are great companies and continue to, it's 100 30 plus years, I believe now. So it's definitely been able to reinvent itself more than most. But then you take someone like Klarna comes along, it starts in a niche component, to, to be frank, and we're going, you know, we're going two miles deep, not two, mi two miles wide to an extent. And you take one problem at a time and you keep building. But the reality is the infrastructure doesn't suffer the same problems. The profit pools are not approached in the same way because to my point earlier, culturally it's, you know, we're here to solve customer problems, right? It's it's a consumer first, customer experience led engagement, right? And you know, many people ask me, like, Klarna's a payments company. Klarna's not a payments company. Klarna's Klarna's a customer experience company. That's what we solve. Yeah. Right. We solve friction. Yeah. Right. And we're bringing fr and to an extent, if anything's got friction in it, we won't launch it. Right. And th that's the core ethos. That's even more so than any other decision that we're trying to make. And that's amazing because, well, A, you know, any big banks kind of listening to this should be reasonably terrified at that prospect because, you know, what you guys will do in, did you say four weeks, four or yeah. five weeks? You know, that, that will take somebody five months to get a meeting to discuss Correct. it. So, I, I, that, that, and I think that's, to your point, it's not, it's not really like, yes, there's technology changing in payments, but your company's just fundamentally set up and with a different level of expectation of what it should do. And I guess, you know, like to an extent, I, I was thinking of this on the way here, just like as I was reflecting a little bit, you know, two things are a great indication for me that a company screwed. <laughs> if I'm allowed to use that word. Uh, you're for, fine. We've said a lot worse. I, you're, you're worse. I could have used that worse. <laughs> uh, firstly, when a bank tries to hire a chief digital officer, I just go, awesome, that's their stock price going down the drain. Now, that's a terrible, there's many good chief digital officers out there. But the reality is what they've said is we can't actually solve internally our, our problems. Yeah. So we're now going to employ someone from the outside to sit across all this with no mandate to go around trying to convince everyone in the businesses to do what they should do. Right? In simple terms. Yeah. It's a bit cynical, but 
That's it's true. The yeah. layman's version of it for me. That's one element. And the second element, I think, at the core of this is profit pools, right? It's, you know, to an extent that some of these companies, the shareholders are as much to be challenged as anything else. Mm. You know, we don't go out and launch a product foolishly. It's not like we don't do the financial evaluations to understand what the returns are. But we're not trying to look at it in a, let's be honest, like a five-year business problem. And we basically realize there's variations we have to accept. Whereas I know from my dad's pre-amics, you're right, it took X amount of months to get a meeting, two, then another X amount of months to get everyone convinced that they should do it. And then once you got them convinced, it was like the hard work started. Yeah. <laughs> right? Versus the excitement, unfortunately. And that's that's hard, isn't it? Because that, you know, that sort of uh, being big is bad type, yeah. uh, like that becomes almost like the the millstone around everybody's ne- you know, neck is the the success that they've had in the past, really. Because we, we've seen this with a lot of big organizations, you know, actually the, can they actually get themselves out of the way to allow them to be successful? Because I'm sure you've experienced this, but everywhere I've ever worked, there's always been super smart people, there's been people who get it, but it's the, the sort of culture around uh, risk aversion, yeah, yeah. Um, even if you can get through all of the, the sort of technological barriers that actually are there. So, you know, that, that for me is, a, is really a fascinating one because actually it's uh, – I still think a lot of the big companies can, can fix this if they have the mentality to fix themselves. But whether you're – if you're a big tier one bank and actually you've got all of the investment, you've got all of the customers really – Actually, it's only you that's going to make this not successful, right? That's true. And I think it's also not to say label all big companies. There is more enough examples of big companies that are truly successful and reinvented themselves. And, you know, many today are continuing to be incredibly aggressive. And I think, you know, I reflect to a former boss of mine many years ago, you know, it's basically if you can be big and fast, Right? There's like when an elephant starts running, you can't stop it. Mm. Right? The challenge is getting the elephant to run in the first place. That's very true. Yeah. Right? Uh, and I think the analogy I still was use if you can be big and fast, I mean, it's an incredibly powerful place to be. But to your point, it's like then how do you organize the culture and the company and the autonomy? You know, come back to an earlier point, the challenge for us in our setup with 300 plus teams is actually given the empowerment to the leaders of each of those teams that they're running a business. Yeah. And that's where a lot of companies I think still truly fail is, is and not this quote sort of the classic empowerment piece, but like our challenge is then you've got a 27 year old owning a business right now or a 30 year old or 40 year old or whatever. Mm. And like do the tools and the equipment to do it. Right. And in some instances we have to create infrastructure that we maybe haven't invested in around HR support. Yeah. Um, uh, as an example, recruitment support, um, IT support, that, you know, if we were to continue down a traditional path, you break the company into business units and tackle it that way. I'm not saying that's a wrong model, but, you know, we've chosen a path that we still think keeps us fast yeah. uh, while allows us to scale. And like in, in the last year, we've gone from 1,800 employees to nearly 3,000, mm. right? And, and, you know, a big part of that is demonstration that the recruitment model is working. Yeah. At this point, anyway. <laughs> well, it's that uh, again fascinating. Like our COO, Eleven uh, FS, always says, it's like you need to create a model based on trust. Yeah. And actually, if you you can actually um, devolve the decision making out to the edges, then you're going to find that people are going to be doing a lot better and taking much more ownership of stuff, which uh, you know seemingly is working really, really well in your company. Yeah, we tend to avoid like it's it's tough for me, right? Because it's not like I come from let's call it the corporate world, 
right? And, um, you know, but our challenge is we want smart people. We want hungry people. But there's things that we actually find a bit more important that we try to drill in from an interview point of view. The word curious is a word that comes a lot to us, right? And, and nearly to the point of nerdiness, right? Because if we find this important recipe of people that are both curious slash nerdy, what comes out is an incredible passion. Yeah. And so what we're trying to do in staff in the company is put people in charge of their passions, hmm. right? And, and that's really at the core. Now, obviously, we take skill and intellect and part of that is what we're trying to assess for. But if we can then match them up with their nerdy, curious passions, the reality is we, we get a brilliant recipe. Agree. Yeah, people love doing stuff they love, right? Yeah. That's a that's a, a real uh, a real nice way to way to put it. How can Sam afford the latest smartphone while she's at university? It must cost her parents a fortune to send her there. Oh, she's fine. She can just borrow the cash and pay it back when she bags a high-powered graduate job. Well, the tuition fees alone must be nearly £30,000. Well, she'll be earning a lot more than that after a couple of years. But imagine starting your career with £60,000 worth of debt. Hmm. Yeah, you could buy plenty of smartphones with that. Millennials. Future consumers or debt slaves. Don't settle for black or white. For the full perspective, turn to the Financial Times. Visit ft.com forward slash join us. Today, customers are demanding greater value from financial services. They expect more agility, innovation and security than ever before. Most financial institutions are held back by the shackles of closed legacy systems that limit transparency, block innovation and ignore customers' demands. Finastra has a bold vision to unlock the potential of people and business. They've created a platform for open innovation in the world of financial services with FusionFabric.cloud. Their solutions span retail, transaction lending, and treasury and capital markets on-premise and in the cloud. Start your transformation journey today with Finastra. Um, so I guess one of the things that you guys have done tremendously well is not just create things on your own and take them to market, but the I guess the partnerships that you've put in place with, you know, particularly in the retailer space, um, seems to be like such an accelerant for scale in, in yeah. your example. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about how that's sure. the sort of come about? You know, at the end of the day, the, the retail environment slash the merchant ecosystem is a big part of how we go to market, mm. right? It's, you know, we we've started to play a little with direct-to-consumer, right? But at the end of the day, we have 130,000 merchants that we partner with and other indirect channels with traditional PSPs, wallet providers, etc. But the, the merchant, what we really see is we're building an ecosystem for the merchant, right? And, you know, there are examples here in the UK, H&M, you've obviously read about. And really, that is a great example of where what we really try to do is break down the customer journey mm. of what they're trying to solve for. It's not like we're trying to do anything scientific or different, but clearly, it's not about trying to sell a payment method. Hmm. And, you know, the examples here in the UK are probably some of the, the, the best we have right now, where Klarna's nearly being sold as a service, right? It's, you know, like I get the most excited when I read the Twitter feeds on Klarna in the UK. It's, you know, you've made it when you basically saying, I want a Klarna, it, hmm. right? And, you know, we we're like, okay, that's doing something good. But that's also been really synced up with our, with our merchant partners here. Right, and like we've done a number of things specifically here in the UK to change the product, mm. right? And that's actually impacted how we've even thought about the product back in Europe now, mm. if you want to say back, well, soon to be back in Europe. <laughs> um, wow, 
steady on. Not, not just yet, but we'll see. <laughs> so, um, you know, and really that's an important part because the merchant's the best feedback for us to evolve the product suite. Sure. And all of those iterations are coming all the time. And whether that's direct feedback, whether that's through customer phone calls, merchant phone calls, support lines, etc. You know, but here in the UK, it's gone from either turn your bedroom into a fitting room. Yeah. But that's been the mess. That's an example of a message. Mm. Or, you know, to an extent, you know, rather than giving free, you know, some people are doing free shipping. Now they're doing sort of, you know, get extended 30 days, mm. try it on. And, you know, what really works there for us is, is really we have two products working together in that buy now, pay later space. Well, if you think about it, you've got a lot of these either small e-commerce brands or large e-commerce slash uh, physical brick-and-mortar retailers moving into the space. And at the end of the day, it's about winning hearts and minds of consumers. Any product is. Yeah. How do you drive trial? And what are the methods you have to drive trial? Hmm. Either you basically have celebrity endorsement <laughs> slash discounting, which everyone is sort of right now is hmm. the curse of the, the high street. Yeah. Or you've got some other benefit or service you're trying to do to copy Amazon, um, blah, et cetera, et cetera. And the way we think about it is if we can work with a merchant to position our offerings, and it's not just any more point of sale. Mm. It's actually we're dissecting the journey to both pre-purchase and post-purchase. Yeah. And in fact, if I look at where a lot of our investment is going from a company with the merchant is in the post-purchase environment. Mm. And, and that's really about trying to tie the customer journey back. But... You know, what our buy now, pay later product is doing in a lot is driving trial. Yeah. Right. So, you know, to an extent, we're getting aligned brands to get people in because no one shopped here. They don't know the sizes. Right. They don't know how easy it is. Right. Yeah. If you think all we've done is make the physical environment come to your home, mm. because when you walk in the store today, you touch, you feel, you try. Yeah. And you take four things to the changing room and you decide which one you're going to keep. Also, that's fundamentally at the core mm. And so how do we enable that, especially when the high street is suffering from that component? Well, and it, and it feels like you're, you know, you're moving from it being just a point of time product yes. to the service. Correct. And, and that, for me, like you say, you know, I, I love simple ideas, you know, because when you say a lot of this out loud, it sounds quite simple, right? Yeah. But doing it and doing it in a way that actually engages customers is really difficult and consistently doing that and keeping that focus. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's a great service that you're kind of engaging with people on. It is. And, at, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, the only way a service works is the customer comes back to use it again. Very true. And, you know, that's why a lot of the post-purchase investment communications making it really easy to pay. Mm. So once you've shopped, at the end of the day, we have, you have to pay. But that's really where we said to the retailer, that's our problem. You get paid no matter what. And we're taking the fraud and risk so they can sleep at night, feel good about that. And then obviously what we're doing is, is working with the consumer to really give them options to really say, hey, I may want to keep this too. I want to keep it all three. Yeah. Um, and then make it sure they can connect their debit card, their credit card, etc., into those environments, mm. just as you would do with any other environment. And then more and more you'll start to see you know, we're testing a number of concepts there, right? We're one of the interesting concepts we're doing working with the merchant is we're given the, you know, when we display the item in the post-purchase environment. So if you imagine going to your Amex statement or your Visa bank statement right now, it's some boring light item, right? Like, I mean, that statement hasn't changed for how long, mm. but that's another touch point, sure. right? So what we've been able to do is curate the actual item that was bought and put it in the post-purchase flow so you can see it. Wow. Now, 
that doesn't seem like a lot, but actually one, the experience becomes easier. Yeah. You understand it. And then the next service we started to offer is if you actually want to do the return, you can actually do the return directly in the post-purchase. So the reverse, the way we give the merchant the comfort. Hmm. So today, if you want to do a return, you're not waiting how many days before the credit card company gives you your money back. Mm -hmm. We'll give it back to you straight away. And then we'll sort that out with the, even if the item hasn't left your house. Yeah. Because why, it comes down to sort of one word for me is do we trust you? And if you can say we trust you, then at the core of it for me is the ability to build a long-term relationship that hopefully people can build over time. Yeah. Uh, that's it's fascinating. It'd be fascinating to see where you guys keep building this out. There's a, uh, you know, clearly a very different objective from a lot of people that I talk to in the payment space, which is probably a big part of why you guys are being so successful, which is great. Um, Kalana, American Express, you were like UK based in the Amex. UK for about three years, and then New York uh, for about nearly five. And, and before that, I, I kind of understand it was it was not always payments, right? No, I I used to work, it no longer exists actually in the UK as a company, but it's been bought over by a Turkish company. It was a company called United Biscuits, which some people may or may not know, but better known for brands such as McVitie's, Digestives, Penguins, uh, KP Nuts, McCoy's Crisps, and used to be actually Young's Frozen Seafood a long time ago when I first joined. Very cool. So, so, so it's like it's not always the you know technology or payments background to go into payments. It's like the way of thinking, I guess, right? It is. Look, you know, I still think I was very fortunate to go into a classic FMCG environment, right? Um, when I first went into payments, in it was pre-financial crisis when I joined Amex 07. Uh, that was an interesting time, but um, you know, I gone from a business that you know. I was dealing with retailers like Tesco and Walmart for years. Mm. I'd watched an industry pretty much collapse in terms of the convenience environment through the pressure of the large sort of multiple retailers. Um, and you saw how margins had become squeezed and, you know, just getting one or 2% market share growth was a challenge, yeah. right? And, you know, we were competing with competitors like sort of uh, PepsiCo slash Frito-Lay walkers and, you know, really big sophisticated conglomerates and as well. But at the core of it was the ability to understand the consumer behavior, to predict the consumer behavior. So, you know, if you were launching a new digestive variant or a new healthy snack at that time was a big thing, right? And a lot of energy went into killing the sort of fat side of products and sugar. It's still actually a debate today. But I remember those conversations. But a lot of that was long-term predicting and consumer behavior driven. Yeah. You know, fast forward into sort of payments, you know, what to me was lacking was actually was a heavy transactional based environment mm -hmm. and a very little awareness and insight going into what the consumer wanted. Yeah. And you would argue Amex is probably one of those that it was probably more consumer thinking mm -hmm. than a lot, but, you know, still sat on tons and tons of data and transactions and very little did it connect the customer journey mm. end to end. Um, you know, and I, you know, to me today, and I sit today and I fast forward into someone like Klarna, you know, what I feel for the first time is a little bit back in those days when I was in FMCG and that, you know, we used to taste the product. That was the way you realize it was good or bad. Yeah. Right? You could feel it. It was tangible. Mm. Uh, and at Klarna, although it's still a digital, you know, predominant digital service, I feel every week we're tasting it. Yeah. 
right? It's that sort of analogy where why we're tasting because we're it's rich into the consumer behavior and experience as well as the merchant sort of behaviors and what's working. Yeah, and you're truly back to solving customer needs mm. versus solving bottom line profit needs all the time. And uh, and that's that's a really strong driver, right? Like empathy for your end users and actually, you know, in the merchant instance as well, given your background, the the being able to kind of relate to their situation as well. You know, that I, I guess that sort of breaks down that barrier of communication really quickly, doesn't it? it does. I'm like, and I don't think we're perfect at it either. Sure. Like, and I don't think anyone's perfect at it. We're constantly learning, right? It's, and as the more we grow geographically, those things become different by market. Mm. But more and more do we find the problems are the same rather yeah. than different. Yeah. Um, but there's always nuances that you have to solve for. But I think the biggest thing that I, you know, I noticed the difference today in the world we operate predominantly. And now we're, we're in physical locations, we're in store. But the world we operate in today is just cross-border, right? There is no boundaries. So, you know, people today can go on to a website in Sweden here in the UK and order from, from brand X yeah. and similarly vice versa. So our services are no longer culturally or sort of localized. And I think there's still this sort of enigma a little bit in payments and a lot of industries that you know, there's a localization requirement. There is localization requirements. Like, I'm not going to dispute that. Currency is a good example, just by the nature of the way we work. You know, I still get shocked when I go to, I won't mention the brands, but I go to their websites in Germany or France or whatever, and they've only got dollars and pounds as the main checkout vehicles on those websites. So I wonder why my e-commerce business isn't growing in, in those markets, right? But I think that the core of these things are trying to solve customer problems hmm. and but I think the companies that succeed are the ones that are truly on it day to day. Yeah. And really on top of it and listening. And and at the end of the day, you know, when you're selling products like an FMCG, you have to listen because people are tasting it every day. And, you know, you get that feedback very real if you don't. Yeah, definitely. Keep keep eating your own product. Yeah. Um, so uh, I guess, you know, from a personal perspective, this one, it's, uh, and that sounds always a bit terrifying to see where we go with this one. But I, but I guess it's like having, you know, been in the industry for a while and actually having those different types of um, uh, industry careers, what would be the thing that, and there's, you know, there's plenty of people who watch this or listen yeah. to this who kind of want to get into this industry or uh, want to, you know, come and work for a company like Klarna. What would be, I guess, the advice you'd give to you know yourself 10 years ago that would have tried you know made it maybe a little bit easier through the, that that spectrum or uh, or is it you know go and try as many things as you can you know eat as many biscuits yeah i look i don't know if i'm i can sit here like to some extent i've worked in three companies my whole career hmm. so i don't necessarily fit the bill of today's employer why because most of those companies give me opportunity to solve my passion right give me opportunity to pursue it hmm. um so the first thing like I always give advice to anyone is like, what are you passionate about, right? And that's not just, a, for me, that's a personal thing, right? Because, you know, I don't believe anyone to tell me that their job is brilliant and great and I love, look, we all have our challenges every day and I think we're all trying to find those balances. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, if, if you're not passionate about what you're doing, like, why are you doing it, right? That's because like, you're just, to me, you're, you're cheating yourself and cheating your friends, whatever is important. Yeah. Not even the employer, right? Because you can actually probably operate. I think the second thing for me, like it, it was funny when you said 10 years ago. I don't know if this is a good thing. Like I remember 10 years ago, it, I still remembered well. My, I sat down with a financial advisor and uh, he basically was trying to convince me to buy Apple 
Amazon and uh, Coca-Cola stock. Right. And uh, there was this company developing called, uh, he called it FaceSwap at the time. It was actually called <laughs> Facebook. Oh, if I had invested that day. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not sure I'm necessarily the one sometimes to give the best prediction. And you didn't do it. I'm just saying, like, at that point, you didn't make that investment? No, I actually remember the comment I made. Uh, one, I said, Apple's reached its peak and it'll never come again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah, I don't really know these techie things. Fast forward and... Yeah. You know, it's a world that I see now differently sitting here mm. than I ever saw before. And, you know, what excites me, I suppose, when I think about advice to people, think about Klarna or anything else is, you know, the opportunity to start a company today is so much more easier yeah. than it, you know, even when I I feel a little bit envious sometimes that I, I look back and go, you know, I used to run nightclubs a long time ago. Uh, longer story, but like that's what I used to do through college to fund myself. Wow. Right. And um, I look now going, where's that entrepreneur spirit in me? And I'm trying to channel a lot of that into Klarna as yeah. an example. But like it's easy, like there's so many problems to solve. And I think it's so easy for people now, and people probably think it's not. The challenge I feel sometimes is the education system and the world we grow up in structures you, you don't. Mm, right. That's very true. Right, that sort of your life is determined whether you're going to get an A at school or not. And all I would tell you, like, for me, my simple experience is go out and try and fail as many things as possible. Because, like, I spend too many times having conversations with people today. Um, I'd won this morning and I'd won earlier in the week of people at Clarna saying, can I have your advice on something? And they're like, uh, I'm not sure if I should take this job because in... in you know, it's going to limit my career. And I'm like going, you're 28, <laughs> right? You've been working for five years and you have a long time ahead of you. And if you think your career is determined by what you're going to do in the next two years, yeah. you know, you have bigger challenges for me than sort of whether that you're going to be successful with that job or yeah. not. And that's what I think is lacking a lot is like, how do we as organizations set people up to follow that? But, you know, it's not a cliche to say, not be afraid of failure. It's about the individual. Mm. It's the individual's got to go out and try. Yeah, and and I think it's easy if they have passions, go follow it. But if they're concerned about sort of doing it themselves for whatever reasons, is then places like Clarna and others give that environment to people that have that drive, and we welcome you, right? And you know, we'll try and find a home and see where that could be. It could be a Berlin, Stockholm, Amsterdam. London, New York, and then we try and figure out what works. Nice. Well, I imagine off the back of that, you're going to get loads of applications. So uh, brace yourself so. on that one. But um, so thank you so much for coming in. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Um, where can people learn more about Klarna? Uh, obviously, go to Klarna.com. Uh, whatever country you're in, you go to our website. <laughs> you can basically get as much information or just Google it. Um, I always have a quick Google every day. There's plenty of stories and a lot of it's normally in different languages, so obviously you use the Google Translate, um, but you can basically get most of it on our website. Fantastic. Well, Michael, thanks very much thank for you, joining Jim. us on Fintech Insider. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.